I really wanted to invite you all into a conversation around the Early Years Learning Framework and what this means for us as educators, which is um, a national curriculum for early learning here in Australia. Uh, there's five outcomes. Uh, there's from, in shorthand, identity, um, connected to and contributing to world is outcome two. Outcome three is children having a strong sense of well-being. Outcome four is children are confident and involved learners. And uh, outcome five is children are effective communicators. Now you can look it up online, there's a whole lot of subpoints to each of those outcomes. But what's most important to me is that we actually get an understanding that this is, is a framework. It's, it's not a roadmap. It's not like you can study this and at the end of it you're going to be an expert in understanding child development. It's a framework. And I think, you know, sometimes the best way to describe a framework is like, you know, you look at a piano, you've got uh, 52 white keys and 36 black keys and you can play honky-tonk or Chopin, you know. It's, it's a framework and it requires a level of mastery to be able to... Um, uh, work at it and create something from it. It's, it's something that's big, it has high impact, it's something that we're doing all the time and I have a suspicion that it's also poorly understood. So I've invited um, Carol Lichnitsky, um who in one of her many hats is education leader for Ignite Minds Family Day Care. Welcome Carol. Thank you. I agree that this framework is a beautiful framework enabling all kinds of artistic combinations as adults and educators. What I think becomes difficult and what is new in a sense in the last two centuries is that the framework has been divided up into subpoints. And if you're coming and studying in a very kind of linear way, you're looking at each subpoint as if they're equally um, important and valuable and not connected to each other. And I think so for me, even doing this illustration that I did for Ignite Minds was a way of integrating it all into a picture we can understand and recognise rather than intellectual words that I have to memorise, which is, you know, like the bad end of education for all of us. Um, it's, these are points that illuminate what the fundamental universal issue is. Yes, you, you can unpack and try and understand all the individual elements of the framework, but you're dealing with one child, one person, and you have to put it all back together again. You can't uh, treat people like they are fragments of this idea that we have of them. You know, the child is the child, and the framework can only help us understand and have a conversation around the child's education. It can't provide us with uh, little sort of fractions of that child. So part of what I wanted to ask you was, in your work, how do you find the best way to make the framework come alive for, for adults? I think my starting point always is the educator's interest or leanings. Because if I'm going to say anything that has meaning, it needs to be relevant. So I would see maybe what she's doing with the children that is a starting point. So she might be doing something on the floor and doing movement with children, like I've seen them do yoga. And so clearly she has an interest in calmness and mindfulness and movement. And then I would talk about that, that I'm interested in that and I want to hear from her what motivates her. So my starting point is always the educator to give me a clue as to what I can 
contribute that could be relevant and meaningful to her? Can I add value to that? And in a way, establish a relationship of trust and mutual enjoyment of each other's ideas. Yes. Uh, look, it's a really important point because I think, um, you know, we, we know that we're always observing an interest in a child and we're always looking to extend that interest. Um, but part of the question I have is when we're moving beyond just interest and we're looking at a whole framework, so we're looking at these, these five outcomes and these five elements, how do we piece it all together in a way which is not about saying that there's five different children in the room, it's about unpacking this framework so that we can have five different perspectives on the one child or we can see the way the framework works to increase our awareness and understanding of education within our own practice. Yes, so after having made that connection with an individual educator and seeing what their interest is, I would have a holistic look at the whole process, which takes time, because little children's lives are often, what happens in the day is quite slow, and you need to get a sense of the whole day. And if I look at the framework, um, these five things are really beautiful because children have a strong sense of identity. You can walk into a room and see in 20 seconds if all the children there have a good sense of themselves and feel confident. Mm. And so you'd be immediately alerted to maybe ones that don't quite feel that way or don't show that. And so that would be something that would interest me in talking about the other thing is that they're connected and contribute to their world. So I would look at how they're interacting with the environment, the toys, the natural resources, the trees, the grass, wherever they are. Are they engaging fully the way you expect healthy children to do? Healthy children don't need permission. They follow and go where their little limbs take them. And they're always motivated to find out and explore. So I'd be looking at is there enough in the environment to support them doing that freely mm. and safely? Um, they have a strong sense of well-being. There's a feeling of calmness in children, especially today. There's not a lot of nervous, erratic behavior. And if there is, what can be done to bring towards them that would help them? And I find things, you know, at this stage of my life, nature is so important in bringing about a sense of well-being and calmness and the joy of being human on the earth. Uh, effective and confident and involved all comes with that strong sense of identity. So one thing builds on another. And um, so can they communicate? Do they communicate fully with joy and enthusiasm? This morning I came and a little girl was at the playgroup and she's just started speaking about four months ago, really speaking. And I came and she said, I waited for you the whole time and you were late. And I just thought that was so wonderful. You know, I said, oh, Corin, I'm really sorry about that. Um, I didn't realize you were waiting for me. Um, I came as soon as I could. She said, that's okay. And I just, that's beautiful. She's confident and she communicates what she was on about. And noticing the children that don't seem to be coping yet are the barometer, are the barometer for what we're going to look at with the educator. So if one or two children are not quite engaging, what is in the whole environment that would benefit them that would also benefit the other children? 
Mm. Yeah, so. It's a really, it came up this morning in class as well. We had a student who has just come back from placement and it's a, a child in the centre. Um, he's in three-year-old kinder and it was quite, quite sad a lot of the time. And the other teachers are like, oh, don't worry about him. He's sad. It's okay. You know, she wants to know, how do, I, how do I reach out to this boy? You know, we had this discussion around, well, what might the framework be telling us? And, you know, is it okay to categorise somebody as sad or categorise them as happy for that matter? Like, what, what does it mean to use this framework to think about, um, you know, what steps do we need to take as educators to allow this child to arrive, to feel more confident, you know, to, um, you know, so there's so many different ways in. Uh, one way might be through, um, is this child connected to the world? You know, have they found their people? You know, is, is the service uh, feeding their sense of community? You know, there's so many different ways that you can, you can tackle that. But um, I think sometimes as adults we do get quite obsessed with this categorising and putting, putting these boxes and these demarcations around behaviour and, you know, when somebody says, oh, that child's just sad, well, sad, that stands out a bit, but, you know, um, you know that child's a genius is also equally as inappropriate sometimes. Yes. I think what you're saying is so true and that really, it's one of the most important things that motivates me in um, trying to help us understand is that whatever categorising we have, and there's so many different ways of looking at it, is that it's never used as a label or a box or a way of pinning someone down, but it's a window through which to look and to have empathy and interest in the child because how children arrive at a particular point in time is always different. They're unique individuals and in order for them to display those things, something is uniquely happening for them. And so putting a label on something kind of almost disengages you as an ed educator. Oh, he's sad. Well, leave him like that. Um, I, think, uh, I think these are the most dangerous or things for anything. it creates an excuse too. He's yes. sad. He's always been sad. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. And that's about empathy because I can't imagine looking at a child who's somehow a bit withdrawn or feeling sad and not being immediately empathetic and concerned and interested and curious and wanting to reach out, uh, even in my observation. And, you know, even go so far as, you know, sometimes you watch how children move who might be sad or having difficulties and I would go home and actually walk the way they walk, really literally walk in their feet. I remember a little boy taught me that like 40 years ago. He was a thin, light little boy, but he walked as if he had concrete boots on. Mm. He kind of walked with heavy feet. And it, I found it intriguing. What is that? And I couldn't get even near it until I went home and walked like that. And, felt, and then I felt a connection to certain things that happens that happened with him cognitively, where he seemed to get stuck and held back. And there was a, a connection that I felt. I felt the connection between the feet and the head. And then it was just a matter of me working more sensitively with him, not having a solution, not having a category to put him in, but actually working a little bit more deeply and a bit more empathetically with him so that I could free him from his concrete boots. 
Mm. So it was dancing and skipping and laughing with me and running. Um, that seemed to bring some joy in his whole being and lift him off the ground. Mm. Yeah. I really I like that because um, I've one thing I feel really important is that uh, the framework is deeply personal yeah. and you've, in a sense, tried to walk in his shoes. You've tried to understand what it's like to have heavy feet and to see how you can use that as a way in to understanding more about this child's education rather than taking a step back and going, aha, he's got lead, lead shoes. That explains everything. <laughs> For me, that's something which I've, I, you know, personalising it is, is so important. You know, bringing it back to uh, what does it mean and what does it tell us about the education that's taking place rather than trying to feel secure that we know something have this suspicion and this is a question that I, I ask a lot of people but the framework is not new it, it's beautiful mm. you know some really clever women have created this framework here in Australia for us mm. but it is not new mm. you know I think it could predate our, our understanding of the elements you know our Myers-Briggs mm. the four personality types mm. there's so much in it and we know that personality is is a continuum you know, it's a spectrum. There's things that are happening all the way along and, and sometimes we, well, we reveal more and we hide more depending on how we're feeling and, and, and what's going on. So, you know, in a sense, this, this sad, melancholic child doesn't mean that they're going to be sad and melancholic forever. You know, it's about trying to understand, uh, well, you know, part of the Adler for, for melancholia, I think, you know, a, a way in is, is understanding that, you know, my, my Greek enlightened education would talk about uh, the element of earth you know and I think of this image of a tree that stands in the ground um, and doesn't cope with change you know grows very slowly but creates homes for other animals um, and interacts with the environment around it but always on its terms so yeah. how do you create that for this child in childcare? if you're thinking of of this as, as a as a description of of this of the learning that's taking place mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I think that with all qualities that we carry however we categorize them there's always a light side and a shadow side and if you're talking about a melancholic as I understand it it's a child that um, could be sad could feel the weight of the earth could feel the responsibility of things but has a very deep empathy for others, is the one who, as you said, would give a home to somebody who's vulnerable. So it's beautiful to recognise that there's always a light and a shadow side and how do we help children just find the balance and also the value of what they are and who they are.